Welcome to the Lean Health Tech Podcast, where industry professionals discuss trends and topics where efficiency, healthcare, and technology meet. My name is Taryn Shipley, and I'm your host. Our guest speaker today is Ryan Souza. Ryan is an experienced senior leader with a proven track record of success that spans 30 plus years and in multiple industries, including healthcare. Powering data innovation that leverages analytics and AI at scale to streamline operations, promote innovation, accelerate research, and enrich the consumer and employee experience. He's an SVP for two startups acquired by Amazon and Nokia. He led the successful implementation of large-scale analytics at Amazon, Expedia, Starbucks, and MCI. More recently, led the analytics transformation at Seattle Children's as their chief data and analytics officer into a recognized leader in healthcare analytics. This included a commercial software spinoff, AdaptX, where Sousa co-invented and is a board advisor. Currently, Sousa is the practice leader for analytics and AI at PivotPoint Consulting and chief data analytics officer at Children's Minnesota. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Taryn. Today's topic is how healthcare has fallen behind other sectors when it comes to analytics. Ryan, you bring a unique perspective to healthcare because you have extensive experience in other industries. Can you provide some background regarding how other industries are using analytics? Yeah, you may comment on that because I think, you know, I don't know that we're falling behind as much as they've, they've had an opportunity to do it a lot longer than we have, right? And if you think about it, to do analytics, you have to have data. And some industries, like I worked in, you know, at Amazon and, you know, we did a lot of really exciting stuff, you know, at Amazon from an analytics perspective that was really transformational for retail, right? So for example, creating a unique store experience for every consumer wasn't something that was possible before because really all we knew in, in retail was what you purchased, you know, and when e-commerce came into play at Amazon, we knew everything about the experience, right? We knew about what door you walked through, which aisle you walked down because the entire experience was digitized. We did some great things on the supply chain side, the shopping side, you know, we, we did a lot of transformative work, but keep in mind, like an Amazon, that was like, maybe the third round of innovation, right? Around the business leveraging data, right? As they got, you know, more and more of it. Healthcare, we're really early in, right? We've had really, you know, some data, maybe 10, 20 years for some of the more leading organizations. And it's just a little bit of data, right? Like it's just the data that we're captured in the EHR. So we've only caught a very small part of the overall patient experience. And I think that's the trend that's going on in healthcare right now that I do think really mirrors what's happened in other industries, right? When you take a look at it, um, industries become disrupted because more and more of the uh, consumer experience becomes digitized. And you can begin to use that to do some really interesting things, right? To either improve the workforce experience, the, the, you know, the, the consumer experience and so forth, maybe even develop entirely new lines of product. And so I think we're, we're seeing the beginnings of that in healthcare, you know, where we're starting to collect more and more of that data and we're beginning to pivot now on how do we start to, to use that to, to, you know, to improve to the lives of, of patients. So let's do a quick compare contrast with how healthcare is using analytics today. I know one of the main points you mentioned was the difference in data. Healthcare is just now getting into this large volume of data. We'll call it big data. But a lot of that data is unstructured. We have provider notes, progress notes, history notes. We have images. It's easy to pull data and report on structured data where there's a discrete field saying the blood pressure is a number. The computer knows what to expect in that place. But when you start writing paragraphs about a patient condition, it's harder to pull analytics on that. I'm going to have to mention the word AI here. I have to. Large <laughs> language modeling with AI is going to kind of allow us to harness that unstructured data now, which is a huge breakthrough in healthcare analytics. But 
I'm going to throw the ball back to you here. How can we compare contrast? How is healthcare using analytics in comparison to those other sectors? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great point. I, th- I would say that, you know, outside of healthcare, you know, there's a lot of structured data, right? Um, that's available. And even the unstructured data is not too complicated, you know, I think compared to, to some of the data that we have. I would say as a percentage, you know, if you look at, at healthcare today, we are the largest producer producers of data on the planet. 35%, I think last I saw of, of the, the data generated in the world is, is healthcare, you know, data. And so uh, there's a lot of data that's out there. But, you know, we worry a lot about, you know, what do we do with a lot of this, you know, unstructured data, but there's a lot we can do with the structured data that we have. I think it's fine to dabble a little bit with some of the unstructured data, especially if you see some some opportunity. But as an organization, you know, if you haven't started to generate predictions around census, right, and begin to use that to um, streamline operations, right size staffing, there's just so many other opportunities, you know, to improve operations or to improve quality of care, just leveraging the structured data that you have today. And when you look at it, um, you know, one of the one of a very common benchmark uh, in healthcare right now is the uh, HIMSS analytics adoption model for analytics maturity. You know, it has a scale of zero to to seven and, you know, zero being you're a beginner and seven means you're kind of best in class in the industry. To get to seven, you don't really ever need to use unstructured data, right? Or maybe use it, but maybe in a very limited way. You can get a good four or five years of value out of just the structured data that you have. But you make a great point, right? Really, if you want to kind of continue up the ladder of driving greater value, figuring out how to use the unstructured data. And it's all over the place, right? We talk a lot about physician notes, but when I was at Seattle Children's, we were we were beginning to streamline all the biometric data continuously off the bedside. And those were all in wave files. So that's yet another data set, you know, to sort of figure out, you know, how to use. And I think you're, you're right to bring up large language models because I think one of the challenges, you know, that we've had with NLP, not just in healthcare, but just in industry in general, is there is some value in, in doing it to train it. It was always very solution specific, right? You had a specific problem that you were trying to solve and you basically built a model then to solve that problem. And so it wasn't very general. You had to find niche areas that generated a lot of value to make it worth the investment. Whereas with large language models, you have the potential of actually, it's a much more general purpose tool where we haven't made a lot of progress or you know either in industry or outside of industry with NLP I think with large language models, what you find is significant acceleration of leveraging unstructured data and not five years from now. I think, you know, if you're not starting to explore what that looks like going into next year, at least some pilot projects, um, you're, you're probably going to be behind in five years. And I will say Epic just had UGM. They just released some information about using the cloud, integrating AI into Epic, you know, the EHR software that so many healthcare organizations use. So I agree with you that the big changes are happening not in five years. They're happening right now. In November, right, is when we're all introduced to chat GPT. And um, I personally use it every day, many times every day. And, and just personal life, work life, you know, just in that context alone, it's a huge productivity boost. So be really interesting to see where, where all this goes. Steering a little bit back towards the analytics. I know the AI is a hot topic and I want to talk about it more as well. But what can healthcare organizations do differently to ensure that they're maximizing their analytic potential? So how did you mature the analytics space at Seattle Children's? To maximize the potential, there's so many opportunities in healthcare. It's one thing I find, you know, coming into healthcare, you, you, every time you look, all you have to do is look and find opportunities. You know, I mentioned earlier at Seattle Children's, you know, the, the way that we did it there was 
you know, what, what were the strategic and operational priorities, right? What were people spending a lot of time on? What, what are the things that were going to make a difference? I think the, the key thing was really starting small and then kind of evolving, you know, the, the analytic solutions at the organization and not try to overinvest up front. I think that's one of the challenges people get into is they, they overinvest up front. They want to build out a full platform. They want to build out a full this and a full that. And then you're two or three years down the road before you start to see, you know, value. If you're not seeing value that you can build on in three to six months, you're probably doing something wrong, right? You're you're probably over investing. You're probably bringing in data that you don't have any use for. You're building out a platform that's way bigger than what you need. You really want to get yourself started small and then do it within an environment that allows you to more gradually scale um, over time. So a good example would be, you know, you know, Seattle Children's. We we knew there was a need for quality improvement, right? Like you, a, a physician, you know, wants to make a protocol change based on some research that was done, but there's no really good way to quickly analyze when they make the change what the effect was, right? Because just because this worked great in one system doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work as well in another. And a lot of times, what happens is it'll eventually work, but you have to do a little bit of tweaking, you know, here and there, right? Based on your population, and um, and that process of just getting feedback was a six week process. So we decided we're going to focus some analytics there, right? We want to provide self-service tools for physicians. So then instead of six weeks for those physicians that are lucky enough to be selected, all physicians can use this tool to get feedback on that kind of quality improvement work, whether it be operational improvements, protocol changes, whatever the case may be. And uh, we rolled that out and, and had significant success, right? When we rolled that out, we remember physicians, when we rolled that out in 15 minutes could get feedback on whether or not things that they did worked or didn't work. And matter of fact, one physician used that over the period of six weeks, working with his, you know, his, his team to eliminate opioids in, in one of our surgical centers. And so to me, that was a, a big payback. I think the, the important thing though, is as you're doing these things, we always try to do pilots, right? Like small incremental, you know, implementations, measure success. If we're seeing success, continue to build. If we're not seeing success, throw it away and move on to the next thing. And I think that's a, a great pattern to get into, right, uh, within your environment is taking the, that more incremental approach. When it works, double down. And when it does, throw away, move on to the next thing and leverage your lessons learned. You mentioned two concepts that I really like there. One of them, you're kind of hinting at the fail fast. You can plan till the cows come home, but you won't know what's going to happen until you do it. So take action. If it means failing fast, you learn from it, pivot and adjust them, you know, adjust accordingly. And the next time it will make progress. The other thing you brought up was incremental progress, incremental results, I should say. You don't have to wait two or three years before you see results and success. You should be seeing seeing something in three to six months. I think that's not only important from an investment standpoint, but let's talk about team morale. If a team of people working towards something and for two years, they're not seeing any progress, people are going to drop off that team. They're going to stop investing their own time and making progress in that project. Getting that, I don't want to say instant gratification, but it kind of is. That's what people expect today. They need to see that what they're doing is making a positive impact towards the organization. So I love that you touched on both of those points. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Like, like uh, I think we all want we in our lives want want to see that we're we're creating value. And um, if you if you get on a path where you're on a journey for so long that you're just not seeing it, it becomes very disheartening for a lot of people. And I think, you know, some of it too is, is also, you know, as you're building, you know, nice thing about the incremental approach, you tend to end up with smaller teams and on those teams, people don't own a function, right? You're not just a data engineer, you own the product. And I think that's a, a big part of that, that more incremental approach too, is everybody on the team 
including your business partner, equally own the product. They begin to identify with the product. And, uh, and there's something very empowering about that, right? Like people like to go to startups because they want to they build something and they want to see some people use that something and they want to see that something that they're building, creating value. And when you're on these smaller teams doing things more incrementally, that feedback is very direct. And that is infectious. Like once you get something out there and people start to use it, the example I talked about earlier, um, a physician comes back and publishes a paper that says, hey, we eliminated opioids in the surgical center. These are mission-driven people, right? Like that are in a pediatric organization that are there to, they want to save lives. They just now introduced a tool that reduced the number of kiddos who are going to develop long-term complications because of opioids. That is super motivating for people. And so over time, you're right, it just sort of builds and builds and builds until you end up having an entire community of people that, that are just really highly motivated to do you know, more, more incredible things to help the patients. That is amazing. I've been seeing on LinkedIn, you're publishing articles about accelerating your data innovation journey. Can you tell us a little bit about what that entails, who should be involved, how long it takes? <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for bringing that up. I that's a passion project, right? So this is something that I kind of do separate from my day job, right? In 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 developing uh, this practice at Pivot Point. And to me, this is why I'm in healthcare. I, I came in healthcare because I had a good friend who was was looking for somebody uh, to work at Seattle Children's. Uh, in the process of trying to help him find somebody, which I never thought I would would end up working there, I started to realize if we did things a little bit differently in healthcare, if we took a a few lessons learned from other industries, right, that have been where we're going right now in the analytics space, we can really accelerate the journey. And and, and in the process, you know, if Seattle Children's help kids and, the, and their families. And so to me, that's why I came in was like, okay, we're going to take a different approach, right? Instead of this more centralized approach, let's take a much more federated approach, right? And in business, a lot of times we get, we go centralized, decentralized, centralized, decentralized. And what I find in a lot of healthcare systems or a lot of traditional companies you end up at some point with a mix where you have a centralized group and a bunch of embedded people all over the place. Uh, and anyway, there's just a lot of waste and, and, and not a lot of, of good things are happening that are sustainable from an analytics perspective. And so this to accelerate your journey then take more of a federated approach, right? Where you take, you know, uh, you break this one big problem down into multiple small problems. So instead of, you know, one big analytics committee, you have a team focused on quality and safety, another team focused on, maybe surgical services, patient flow, patient access, those things that are of strategic or operational importance you know, to, to the organization, build small teams to focus on each and every one of those things, and then embed those teams in the business where you have clinical, business, and technology people you know, working together. And that really is the idea behind accelerating your data innovation journey, right? Is to sort of introduce that as an idea for operating that is is a bit different than what you typically find uh, within healthcare, but in the process of going there, what you find is that you move a lot faster in, in terms of delivering analytic capabilities. And to give you a data point, um, going back to the benchmark for HIMSS Analytics, Seattle Children started uh, at a HIMSS AMAM 1, and a little less than five years later, they were at a stage 7. And so that was the idea here, was we, you know, we decided it works, we've been able to make it work in healthcare, how do we get other organizations to do it? We publish these series of articles that talk about this approach to delivery, which sort of it sort of embraces this idea of operate like a startup, think like an entrepreneur. And then we begin doing articles in part to engage the community in a, in a conversation, right, around what we're learning and, and how we've applied it in order to accelerate journey at Seattle Children's and, and other organizations. 
And then also to help people like come forward and say, well, I've got some other ideas that I find really work well too. And so in a lot of ways, this is about trying to start a movement, right? Where we come together as an analytics community across healthcare and we begin to share ideas, leverage from each other in order to accelerate our journeys because experience is becoming heavily digitized. And what we need to do now is figure out like how to move faster in leveraging that data in order to improve uh, workforce and patient experience. When you implement the accelerating your data innovation journey process and organization, what are some common barriers that you've come across that you find in healthcare that are not necessarily present in other sectors when dealing with analytics? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, in a lot of ways, healthcare, we are really similar to traditional companies, I find, outside of healthcare. You know, we, we tend to be, we, we like to work kind of top down, you know, as an organization. We have a lot of central committees where decision-making happens. And so, in, in, and we separate business and technology, right? And remember, when I came into Seattle Children's, I, the, the team that I started with was within IT. And uh, I, I used to, like, for the first month, they were always talking about the business, the business, the business. So I think one of the, the big things that we have to get past early on is we've got to get past this idea that if you're technology, you're not the business, and that the business is different than technology. Remember, it never occurred to me. Um, prior to coming into Seattle Children's that I wasn't part of the business. And so I think that's one of the, one of the big things we try to embrace is this idea that business and technology are one. They're not our customer, right? Like it was one of the things that we changed at Seattle Children's. And we aligned early with executive leadership that executive leadership's not the customer. The physicians are not the customer. The nurses are not the customer. At the end of the day, the customer are patients and families. And we're working in partnership on their behalf. And that mental model changes the, the, the nature of the relationship. And then we also, to sort of reinforce that idea, we started to embed these teams in the business. And so we had these multidisciplinary teams that were embedded in the business and they operated like startups within the business, which means they had a lot of autonomy. The other thing is they also, um, decision-making happened where the work was done. So each team had two owners, one, one business owner, uh, one technical owner. The business owner defined what the team was going to do. The technical owner decided how it was going to be done. And they were the final decision makers. So instead of decision making happening at the committee level, the decision making was actually happening where the work was getting done. And the logic around that was if you're looking for ownership in an organization, you're going to find it where decisions happen. If you know decisions are being made where the work is done, then people that are doing the work are going to own those decisions. If decision-making is happening at some committee level, then really the people that are at the committee are the ones that are going to own the decision, which is probably going to be, you know, senior vice presidents, vice presidents, and so forth, senior, senior people, right, in the organization, which means everything else downstream is compliance. So that was the other thing that we kind of did is we sort of flipped the organization upside down um, as part of that and really afforded uh, these teams the opportunity to develop deep purpose provided them a lot of autonomy and allowed them to develop mastery in a particular area, right? Quality safety or surgical services or revenue cycle and so forth. Not only did it, it accelerate things substantially, productivity went through the roof, innovation increased substantially. And we also had some of the highest scores from a, uh, an employee satisfaction perspective. And so it was like a triple win, you know, um, as we started to go down that path. But honestly, it's no different than what you would do if you were a startup or working in a, a more a newer company. Was it hard to get buy-in or did you have people that were barriers to flipping the process on its head? Yeah, I mean, you always run into that. I think one of the things that's nice about the incremental approach is you're not moving everybody's cheese all at the same time. So a, a traditional approach would be, 
we're going to build a data governance committee. And now you're moving a whole lot of cheese because this committee is focused on the whole enterprise. We took a very different approach, right? We said, you know what? There's willing participants right now in quality and safety. That's a big problem to solve, right? At Seattle Children's at the time. So let's focus there. And we didn't focus anywhere else. And we just got this new operating model working on that one focused area. And then all of a sudden surgical services came along and said, hey, that looks really interesting. We'd like to do that. And then we did surgical services and then we did another one and then we did another one. So the general approach is incremental, always focused on willing participants. And in doing that, you don't have a lot of the change management problems. Now, when things do start to come into play is, you know, 18, 24, 36 months down the road, as you have more and more of these teams in place operating in this, in this new way, because by the way, the business loves it. We've never seen any issues, you know, on the business or the clinical side or the research side. They, they always seem to love it. If there are people that are holding out, and there always are, right? There's always like a small group that are, are, are big advocates. There's a small group that are not too happy. And then this, this group that sits in the middle on the fence. As you get through the people on the fence and, you, you know, and the others, uh, then that one last group, usually if you have any kind of politics, it's much later in the process because you really haven't touched them at this point. And now really, you know, 90% of the organizations converted over to this new approach to doing things. And you've got this little small niche that has to argue, why are they different than like the other 90%? And that becomes a really difficult argument, right, at that point. So I think in a lot of ways, those things take care of themselves. But the key is, to answer your question, is really don't try to move the cheese in all the organization. Focus on a few key areas where you have willing participants, demonstrate success, and then let that success kind of take you where, where you need to go. Where can listeners find additional resources if they'd like to learn more? You've given us so much great advice here, but I know it's a lot to digest. Can you tell us where to find your articles? Yeah, that's a good place to start because one of the things we've tried to incorporate in the articles is a lot of reference material uh, that you can go out and take a look at. I'm really a big reader, as you know. To me, reading is, is not about the theory. It's about seeing the world through other people's eyes. Like there's a lot of ways to do that. You can look at, read what other people have read. We can have conversations like we're having right now. Uh, there's a lot of ways to, to learn from other people, but that's how we, we get stronger. But if you go up to the International Institute for Analytics that, you know, and look for, you know, Accelerate Your Data Innovation Journey, um, you'll, you'll see a list of articles that are out there. And uh, we've, we've done five already. We're, we're going to do a sixth one. You know, Mary, we're probably going to be doing a lot more. I just, you know, kind of got an agreement with them to, to do a continue the series into next year. There's other people out there who want to publish articles in the context of this. So if any of your listeners uh, look at that and they they have an idea or an article that they would like to publish as part of that series, let me know. I'd love to um, to get them all set up and, and doing that because that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're, we're really trying to get other people to contribute and create a space where we can learn from each other. Thank you so much for sharing your insight around how healthcare organizations can strengthen their use of analytics. This concludes today's Lean Health Tech podcast. If you're a listener and would like to hear a certain topic covered in future episodes, please let me know by leaving a review or comment. Thanks for joining and be sure to check out the next episode.